0: Run Nation, it's almost time to get in shape for the summer, and we've got good news for you. The Let's Run.com summer training plan is back better than ever. We've upped it to 14 weeks. We're going to build your mileage up for 12, come down for two. If you, if you don't have time for the final two weeks, that's fine. Sign up now, Let's Run.com slash coaching. If you're a supporting club member, it's free with your membership. We designed it for high schoolers and college kids, but adults can do it too. But hey, I know there's a lot of you that are coaches yourselves, so you have no idea what you're doing you can sign up, steal our ideas, and give it to your own team. Do it today. Let's run.com slash coaching.
1: A barrier once impossible is
2: now moving. Usain Bolt. Look at the time The Europeans say that he hasn't really been in a war yet, but this boy's got a lot of in it And somehow she's found the acceleration.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Jakob Ingebrigtsen has put on a show at the Sound Running Track meet, and he opens up afterwards in a great interview. Emily Sisson broke the American record in the half marathon in Indianapolis. Kenya staged a great meet at the Kip Kano Classic. Is Tia the favorite for the US 1500 meter title? And how many Americans will join the Sub-13 club? in the next three years. Plus, we preview some great track and field action this week. Are you ready for Thursday night track and field in Puerto Rico? We are, we'll tell you about it. Plus, opening day is finally here. That's right, the Diamond League is back, people, and we get you ready for a sick meet in Doha on Friday. Plus, stay tuned. At the end of the episode, we have an interview with track and field superfan Derek Rubis, who is currently battling cancer. We hear his story this is Jonathan Golt. I am joined by the co-founders of Letsrun.com, us Robin and Weldon Johnson. Guys, I'm getting excited. I feel like the track season is picking up steam. We had the track meet on Friday. We had Nairobi on Saturday. We had Tokyo Sunday. Now we got the Diamond League coming back this week. Spring has sprung. It's a good time to be a track fan.
3: That is correct, John. And this is a Tuesday edition of the Letsrun.com Track Talk podcast. Switching things up, email us your feedback. You can always reach us at podcast at run.com or 1 844 let's run. John, this past weekend was great, but I'm glad these B team meets are over. Track and field is about the Diamond League, USA Championships for an American, and the World Championships and Olympics, in my book. Everything else is for the B teamers. We got the A-team back out tonight. Donovan Brazier will be running his first 800 meters since breaking his leg at the Olympic trials last year. So this is huge, taking on Bryce Hoppel in Qatar. He's not going to some rinky-dink meet in the middle of nowhere to time trial. He's going on to take the best of the world in his return. I love it.
1: It does put it in perspective. We were looking at the entry list for Doha before we started this podcast, and I was just going through all the fields, and I'm like, oh, this is a big time showdown, or oh, this is a great race. Like, a lot of these meets leading up to the start of the Diamond League, you might get one or two of these races in them, but the Diamond League, pretty much every race, you've got some big names in all of them squaring off. Maybe this is a especially loaded meet. This is probably a better than average Diamond League meet, but it's still kind of puts in perspective, oh, we get really excited because and Brixen's running a 5K time trial where he's going to get the Olympic standard. Well, now we got actually races between a bunch of people. The outcome is in doubt. I- I- I'm pumped. I think this Doha meet's going to be fantastic.
0: It's going to be amazing. It's going to put anyone that hyped the track meet to shame. You need to apologize to the world if you hyped up that meet because, come on, that was BNC teamers. The A-team starts on Friday. Well, actually, Thursday night's pretty sick, too. ESPN, Thursday night track. We'll, we'll talk to that soon. But let's go back to the track meet first. Wait,
1: BNC team is... Jakob Ingebrigtsen's like the A-team of the A-team. He ran the track. You can't just say it's BNC teamers when they have the Olympic 1500 champion. Josh Kerr was also in that race. I think that's a bit unfair, Robert.
3: Speaking of Josh Kerr... I've taken away the voicemail responsibilities from Rojo. I just checked it. Fake Josh Kirk called in like a month ago. You need to call back in. What happened this weekend, Josh? Not the best race I've ever seen. But, yeah, the the 5K had its sound running. Let's just start with that. That was the highlight of Distance Fans weekends. I think without a doubt, that was a race everybody's looking forward to. Delivered in many ways. I thought we'd see a sub-13. We didn't quite get there, but Jakob Ingebrigtsen picks up the big win. Abdi Nur gets what John is calling the collegiate record at 5,000 meters.
1: What? Well, from what I can tell, Robert is the only person in the track and field media landscape who's not calling it a collegiate record. Everyone on Twitter is calling it a collegiate record. He's the only one. He's saying, because Lobby Lang ran 13 flat in July 2013 after the NCAA season was over, but that that's the true collegiate record. Robert, can you ex- give your explanation for this if people weren't listening to the Friday 15 post reaction show on Friday?
0: This is pretty simple, folks. Look, Neur ran 1306, right? Which is faster than the 1308 Henry Ronner ran, also the 1308 that Laui Lang ran back in the day in season, meaning before the NCAA championships. But Laui Lang, Ran 13 flat. When he was a junior at Arizona State, he was dominating everything. And then he went over to Europe in July, still wearing his college singlet. It's no different than an American going to, like, the U.S. Olympic trials as a junior in in college. And he put up a 13 flat. Last time I checked, 13 flat is significantly faster than 1306. And it's not like he went pro and didn't come back to Arizona. He came back to Arizona, ran a full season of cross country and indoor and outdoor track, and then graduated. So to me, your anything you run in college before your senior NCAA, your final NCAA championships is should count as a collegiate mark because otherwise I don't understand how you can count NERS mark. NERS mark. This meet was not ratified for the NCAA. It didn't have enough events or enough teams or something. I don't know. Call it a dumb rule. But this meant meet did not count for NCAA qualifying purposes. You will not see Nur's time on the TFRS list. So this was nothing. He did the exact same thing that Lally Lalang did. He ran fast in a pro meet that did not count while as a collegiate that did not count for NCAA championships. If for some reason you want to indicate what time of year it happened, go ahead, I guess, but Lally Lalang was a significantly better 5,000 meter runner than Abdulhamid Nur was in college. 13 flat versus 1306, one with super shoes and one without. End of story.
1: Well, I agree with you on that point, but yeah, I don't know. I Look, this isn't like a hill I'm going to die on. I don't really care, but track and field news, I kind of view their records as the official collegiate records because they go right through the NCAA championship. They're pretty well-maintained. There is no official NCAA record. So if you want to have the official Let's Run records and you want to go back and do the legwork and find all these marks, Robert, because I'm sure there are a few others that are superior. I I guess, oh, I have one question for you, though. If Lali Lang ran that time and he's just wearing a random singlet, he's not wearing his University of Arizona singlet, but he's competing for Kenya, do you still think that's a collegiate record?
3: Yes. What if somebody's red-shirting?
0: I mean, if you go to the Olympics and and you set a mark, we're not going to count it as a collegiate record. It's like, I mean, so okay, John, how about this? Are you there, John? Ooh, you look like you're not paying attention to me.
1: I'm absolutely listening. You haven't made a point yet, so I'm waiting okay. to respond.
0: If a high schooler by the name of Colin Solomon, if, if Colin Solomon goes to a meet, like maybe that indoor meet that he went to and ran 358 in the mile. If they go to the high school nationals and they're wearing a New Balance shirt or a Nike shirt or whatever, they're not wearing their high school shirt. Does that count as a high school record? It's the same damn thing.
1: It's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird. It's kind of a mess. Like, look, Abdi Habeddor ran a great time. He was the fastest ever by an American collegian. Nico Young was second fastest ever by an American collegian, 13 11. He was just the f- fastest ever by an American teenager in that race. That was really impressive. I don't want to debate anymore about whether it was a collegiate record or not. It was really damn fast. I was impressed. Weldon, was this the breakout performance you were looking for? You've been hyping this for several weeks. You've said you thought Noor could get the collegiate record before you even knew there was a real attempt on. So is he now a big-time star for you? Where do you view Abdi Hamid Noor in the context of American distance running, Weldon?
3: Yes, he's a big star for me. I thought he could break thirteen, but I guess he got beat by Joe Clecker. I thought you guys were selling him short on the supporters' club recap show. That I'm like, he's still got a chance to make worlds, but the more I think about it, it's going to be hard for him. But we need fresh meat. He's the newest guy. Nobody was a year ago. Nobody was thinking, oh, we're going to reload the barrel here, and it's going to be Hamad Nur coming through it. So. It's great to see him because Paul Chulimo, where's Paul Chulimo this year? The the current stars we have aren't going to be there much longer. I keep hearing y'all use the word star.
0: Like, okay, he's the next, he's hope for the future, but let's not, wait, we shouldn't use the star for someone who's not even going to make the damn U.S. team. Like, come on. Like, th- now, but by the way, all the people that accuse us of let's run, let's run nation of being racist. You promote the white runners. This, this is why I would say, no, we don't. We're an american focused website. We're focused on American runners. So here I am trying to promote the pros and the black and the brown Africans that will be dominating the Doha Diamond League. But we do get excited about, normally they're white because they happen to be American. But in this case, he's not white, and we're still hyping him. But he's not no, a star. He's a you, very
3: promising prospect. You're not hyping him. If it was Dathan rittenhine you probably would be hyping him.
1: No, what I would say, no, look. You guys are hyping him. Is he going to make the team this year? No. There are multiple runners better than him. I would say all four of the top four from the trials last year are better than him. But look, he won a 3K and 5K NCAA indoors. And if he's going to be favored to win the 5K and 10K NCAA outdoors, when's the last time an American man did that? I think Galen Rupp is the last guy who won who is an American who won all those distances, distance races. If he can pull that off he's going to be a very hyped distance project prospect and you would hope he's 23 years old. You would hope within a couple years, he'd be a candidate to get under 13. He'd be a candidate to get under 27. You would hope if he continues developing, he could develop into a star. He's not one of the very, like he's not one of the top three distance runners in America right now, but he's compiling quite a collegiate resume.
0: He's got an amazing resume and I hope that he does do it now. If I was a shoe exec, I would think it's tough to do your job. What does he have going for him? One, I would say the East African genetics would give me a higher upside for the average person compared to non-East African genetics. I prefer to see that. But then on the downside, if I'm a shoe exec, I'm honestly going to hold it against the NAU guys because they've already got altitude in the equation. Altitude is worth a lot or can be worth a lot if you're an altitude responder. He's already training at altitude. So if he takes someone... You know, like those Wisconsin guys back in the day, the Selensky's the Teagues, they've never touched down. Now, they weren't running this fast, but, you know, they were running 13-16, 13-20. You take the altitude and you're down to 13-low. Here it's the opposite. 13-06 in the super shoes isn't what it used to be. It's probably 13-16 to me. But, hey, he's a good runner. He ran well. But let's talk about some of these other results. Jakob won it. And as expected now, I really wish, and he talked about this in an amazing post-race interview. I wish that he had just jogged it on in and let everybody destroy him in this race. Jonathan Galt would have lost it. The let's run nation would have lost it, but it would have showed what a joke it is. This guy has to run that he's worried about picking up a 5k qualifier when he's one of the best 5,000 meter runners in the world. So his big brother gave him permission just to get his ass handed to him. Just pick up the qualifying time, even though he doesn't need the qualifying time because he's got the world rank. But he did. He said, "Oh no, I'm too competitive in one. But John, what would you have done if he had just said, oh, I don't care, it's practice?
1: I would have said it's really lame. It also would go against everything this guy stands for because he races a lot and he always races to win. So, yeah, I would have thought it was a weak move for sure. But it also shows you how good this guy is. He's, now, I know everyone says they haven't started speed work yet, but he's been up at Flagstaff, basically is in his base phase, and he sounds like he wants to do the 1500 5K double at the World Championships later this year, which is doable. 1500 comes first, then the five. there's a little gap, and then it's the 5K. He needs the standard to run it, so it's like, well, I'm pretty fit. I uh, might as well just show up. Is there, is there some random meet in America where I can get this standard and knock it out because I can run... 13 0 for fun goes there, sits on second place, and he's like, Oh, I guess it's time to win the race. Takes off with 100 meters. It just shows you he's 21 years old, and he I know he's run 12:48, so this wasn't a surprise, but it just kind of shows you he's on a totally different level from these other guys in the field. He can go out there and run 13 02 and just head straight back into training, whereas some of these guys are like, you know, trying to run as fast as possible. And yeah, I don't know, there's a lot of it was good results all around, I would say, for the top guys. I mean, Mohamed Mohammed from Germany, that was a big PR, 1303. I thought Joe Klecker, really good sign for him to run 1304 because he's missed a lot of time. He, well, he missed a bunch of time in the indoor season, and he's got the US 10K Championships at the end of the month. He looks to be right on schedule for that. And then we already talked about Nur, and then Nico Young, I was really excited for again. He's 19 years old, and he ran 1311. I know he has the super shoes, but that's a fantastic result. And Heat 2. We talked about a lot of this on the Friday 15 as well. So if you are a Let's supporters club, let's slash subscribe, you can go back and listen to our thoughts. But his brother Nico's brother, Lex Young, ran 1343, second fastest high school time ever. That was really impressive as well. So a lot of good results in this race.
3: Well, John, if you want to go by the your collegiate Logic, that's the fastest high school time ever.
1: I follow the track and field news lists, and they credit Galen Rupp as the high school record holder, even though he ran his time at the end of July in Belgium after the summer after he graduated from high school. So they don't have consistent criteria between high school and college, which is like, what what does any of this even mean? But yeah, that is a fair point.
0: Well, John Kellogg and I spent a lot of time last night, one in the morning, discussing this. On high school, I'm, see, I'm the opposite track of field news. Anything before you graduate in college should count as a collegiate record. In high school, I'm willing to count the summer times. Anything you run before college starts. So I'll say September 1 of your freshman year should count. Because there's not really a set high school championship. You could, I guess you could set it, you know, if there was one. But that's a little bit more debatable to me. But, Yeah. But back to this 5,000, I, I think the Cocker thing was more most impressive. We just didn't know what to expect at the 1304. But the best performance, don't even mention, I've already forgotten his name because he's an afterthought in the Young family for me. Nico Young, 1311. No, 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 no. He's not as good as his brothers. Lex and Leo, we were wondering if the twins, I mean, I'm a twin, were going to be better. I think they're going to, 1344 to me is more impressive. 1343 is a junior in high school. Are you kidding me? This is getting into Japanese territory. They've got that Japanese high score. By the way, no one talks about that. We both rave about Colin Solomon. There's some Japanese guy that's run 337, 1322 this year. This this Lex Young looks like he might be able to do that next year. So that's when we'll, when the Newberry Park hype train will really be at, 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 in full force. But I really enjoyed, after the race, let's run intern Carl Winter and talk to Jake Jakubin and Britson. And he did such a good job on the interview. It wasn't just Carl's questions or some of the other questions, but really it's just Jakob likes to talk track and field. I think he enjoys the sport. He's a student of the sport. And when we were in in Belgrade, like, I, I I filmed a whole interview like in whatever language he speaks. It was like ten minutes. He was just Norwegian. Come on, Rub it. Sport. What
1: <laughs> they speak Norwegian in Norway? Come on.
0: Well, he speaks multiple languages, so I assume I assumed it was probably Norwegian, but. Could have been something else that I wasn't sure of. Put it up on the internet. It was pretty popular. But he's very thoughtful. He thinks a lot about running, and um, there was really like. So we're gonna forgive Carl for losing to Colin Solomon in the men's 1500. He's allowed to be the let's run intern, even though he lost to a high score because he did such a good job in this interview. But my favorite part was he was asked like, "What's it like to?" You dream of winning the Olympics, then what? What's it like? And Jacob admitted it was really tough to come back from that.
2: It's it's really strange uh, because I've, I trained for that specific race for uh, basically my whole life. So there's, uh, the peak is, is really high, but also right after the peak, there's a, a big low uh, because I've done it. So what's the meaning of going back to training and uh, do all the shit work that needed to get back in the same shape? Uh, but um, I'm still competitive, and that's uh, that's uh, the bad part for me. I just can't uh, you know throw in the towel and say that I'm finished. I want to win the world championship as well, and uh, when I'm this fast, it would have been stupid to not go after uh, some records.
0: And that clip just sort of reminds me of, like, life in general. Like, I've always wondered, like, billionaires, they have billions of damn dollars. Why do they all keep working? But I think we're just programmed to keep doing stuff. Like, you win once, you win again. You win, You start one business, you do another. But running, to me, seems a little bit easier to do. Like, you're only young once. You've won one Olympic title. Let's try to win two or three, or let's try to win the double. But I just think the humanity of him was cool there.
1: Well, I'm not sure that Jakob is programmed to you know, win one Olympic, then he immediately wants another one. I've listened to that interview and some of the things he said over the year. Like the winning the Olympics was the big thing and now he accomplished it. He's like, well, is there anything left to do? He does win the win the worlds, but the way he was talking in that interview, it sounded more like, well, I'm super, super fit. Like I'm one of the probably fittest fifteen hundred men in history right now. I'm in really, really good shape. If I want to I might as well try to break some records and win these world titles while I'm good. Like he's already got the Olympic gold in his back pocket. He's got the thing that everyone spends their whole life pushing for. But he's like, well, yeah, I guess I, I could give up or I could just I might as well take advantage of what I have at the moment. It didn't sound like, oh, he's gonna be like the world record, this is live or die, he must get it. It's just like, well, it's a it's a logical thing for him to go for. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, but is this the guy that we were debating whether he was going to retire? Yes. Okay, we had this in the podcast a few months ago, but as I as I stated then, I guess he's hinted at this before. There's no chance he retires before 2028 because it's easy to get to 24. I mean, you've got worlds in Eugene this year, you've got it in Europe next year, then you've got the another Olympics, and then you're the only two time Olympic champion besides Subco. You've got to go for the history in three. And you know the other part that was exciting about this interview was, I mean, they asked him about the World Indoors, and they, he, he said, "Well, I was sick. I would have won by 100 meters." And I think he was joking a little bit, but it was clear to the media people in Belgrade that he was really enjoying himself in the mix zone before the final. And I'm like, this guy thinks he's in six-six shape. And they, they were talking about, like, you know, how he's running the race, like he was in the back in the prelim. Like He was running very confidently. In the final, same thing. He's just like, I'm just going to blow these guys away from the front. Now, it didn't happen because of COVID. But I think that we should be ex- super, super excited. Like He seems to be in a good place. I think he thinks he's super fit. And I don't know if there's really time to get the world record. I don't think there is before Worlds. But I think afterwards, he's going to have plenty of time maybe to, 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 to pull a chapter guy, hit a little downtime, and then slam it.
1: Well, he also wants to, wants to run the Europeans as well. Oh, good point. And if he wants to double there, you know, maybe he just says, "Screw it." I'm. Remember, like the end of last season, he did run really fast coming off the Olympics, one Prefontaine, but he did. He seemed a little worn down after that. And if he's going hard and he's doubling at Worlds and he's doubling at Euros, he might just say it's not worth it. Going for a world record, I'll try next year.
3: So Jakob sort of struggling with motivation to come back after the Olympics. I mean, I think that's just totally common. I remember re- hearing about, I think it was an Olympic diver. and They contemplated suicide after like winning a medal. They'd put their whole life to the, towards this thing and they're like, that's it? But by chance, I heard this podcast last week. I'll link to it. It's called Impact Theory with Tom Bilyeu. I'm not sure how i was referred to this thing but it it sort of talked about this and it said if you celebrate the win more than the pursuit that sets you up for failure in the future they're like highly repeatable people have continued success they understand that like the pursuit is the reward obviously you got to celebrate it but like it's just not about getting whatever you're trying to achieve you have to enjoy the process And I think Jakob does enjoy, he loves winning, but I think there's a part of running that he loves, the pursuit. Otherwise, he wouldn't be as good as he he is, so somehow he needs to embrace that side of the sport. But it's interesting to hear him talk about him because some of the interviewers are like, hey, have you guys heard of the Newbury Park guys? (laughs) And I guess we can play that clip. Here he is talking about what a thirteen forty five k in high school means to him.
2: I try to follow uh, as much as I can, but of course, Diamond League is the first priority and, uh, and all that. But uh, that's the fun thing about social media: everybody posting if someone runs fast and uh, does well. Uh, and I see that there's a lot of high schoolers and also young people in college running fast, uh, but they don't. Uh, they can't quit there. They need to take the next step going to pro and then uh, oh. run uh, even faster. Yeah. You know, 1340, 1320, that's, that's nothing right. compared to uh, in, in the bigger picture. Um, but it's, uh, it's a good step in the right direction.
0: So I kind of thought that meant he did know what Newberry Park was. But then I'm like, well, he kind of know—he kind of mentioned the time that they were running. So does he know Newberry Park? Maybe he's a secret fan. I was thinking he was dissing them, but now I'm not so sure.
1: I don't think he's dissing them. I just think it's a different perspective. In America, we're locked into, okay, this is the progression. You're just high school, and then you're college, and then you're pro. We have the good benchmark times for each level. Whereas, Jakob, he's essentially been a pro since he was a teenager. So, he's just like, all right, well, he was competing against the best in the world when he was 17. So, he's not thinking, oh, between 17 and 18, I should be running this certain time. And then between... 19 and 23, I should be running this certain time and that makes me good. He's just like, no, there's one time. It's the best in the world and that's like what you measure everything against. Because it's crazy to think, but Jakob, if he was in the American system, he'd either be a junior or a senior in college right now. But he's not thinking, oh, you know, I ran a collegiate record at this meet. He's just like, no, I ran 1302. How does that compare against the best in the world? So it's just a different mentality, I think.
3: Yeah. And when he broke He was the youngest guy to go sub four, right? Correct. people went nuts over that. And I remember thinking, and his brothers, I think, were already, I think Philip had already won a medal at that point.
1: No, that was the year, it was the 2017 pre-classic. Philip won his medal uh, at the end of that season.
3: Okay. So they both were very good. And I remember thinking, there's no guarantee he's better than his brothers. Like, just because you go sub four in high school doesn't mean to become a world champion. Tap the brakes. Well, y'all could prove me wrong about that one, but we also assume that there's this sort of natural progression, natural progression. You're the best in high school. You're the best in college. Then you're a pro. Well, I think there's a lot of people in this very 5K who show that's not necessarily the case. We talked about Lolly Ling, the 13 flat. Do you guys know what Lolly Ling's PB is? 13,
1: 13 flat point nine five. It's that same
3: time. He never got faster. I was actually in Monaco for that race. Also in this race, sneaking under the world championship standard, a guy named King Ches, Edward Cheswick of Oregon, I think 17-time NCAA champion. He's gone on to dominate as a pro, right? Oh, whoops. And further back in this race, this one kind of surprised me. Behind his teammate Sam Parsons was Drew Hunter who turned pro out of high school, got the huge Adidas contract, has made one world championship team, but looks a long way away from being a world beater. Now coached by his mom. He made great progress right away. He won that US 5K championships in conjunction with the New York City Marathon. And he even said, hey, it doesn't matter what I do now. It matters what I'm doing, you know, come Eugene. And I was like, well, this bodes very well for Eugene, but I think he might have been right.
0: I got to correct the fake news. He made great progress right away. What do you mean? He joined Joe Join Hunter last year and was training for with her for a full year now. Look, Drew Hunter's done. You can stick a fork in him. I hate to say it, but he, he's accomplished in some ways less than Weldon Johnson has a pro. Weldon was fourth at USA's twice in his career. Drew Hunter will be fourth at USA's once in his career. That's hard, but I I I saw this coming a long time. I was on Timman's side. I was on Timman's side. Like, do I think Timman has the people skills maybe to be a top pro coach? Maybe not. I can see why he'd be a better remote coach like John Kellogg would than and been in person. But he knows his shit. And he it was his philosophy that helped Drew become a high school superstar. There's nothing wrong with the training. Drew may have injury issues or whatever, but his days of being a factor on the US scene, no.
3: That's over. Um you know, but Robert, I. Robert, he won a U.S. championship this November. How can you say that? He won a road championship.
0: I, okay. I hiked the last winner of of the New York 5K road championship, didn't I? How did that go for me? Who was that, John?
1: Anthony Rotich. Have you forgotten his name already, Robert? Yeah, Anthony Rotich won that. I'm like, oh my
0: god, he's going to dominate this chase. He's going to be on of team. That didn't happen. So, hey, prove me wrong, Drew. Prove me wrong. But. It, it, I, I think that's what's interesting about the sport. I've always said the sport's weird. Like somebody will be running an amazing time. Instead, more people will be into, look at this 14, 12-year-old that ran this time. What are they going to do? And Jakob Ingebrigtsen really is the only one that just actually like just dominated at every level. And we mentioned Drew Hunter. We mentioned Lally Llang. Uh Who was the other person you mentioned, Weldon? King Chess.
1: Edward Chesserec.
0: Oh, King Chess. No, I've got another name for you, Robert Chesuit. This was like the Britson. This is the younger brother of Bernard Legat. He was amazing in college, multi time NCAA champion. He could wipe the floor. I'll never forget this. It was in Austin. Chesuit falls down in the 5,000. Dathan Ritz in the race, not falling down. Chesuit pops up and just dominates the race. Like he could fall down and spot Ritz 50 yards and still smoke his butt. He was the worst pro than Ritz. So it's, it's a tough thing to predict the future. And that's why Jakob, I mean, Jakob is what we think is always going to happen, yet rarely does happen. So.
1: All right. Anything else on the track meet or should we move on? We have a bunch of other things to discuss this week.
3: Well, speaking of such, John, there's a thread saying Caitlin Tooley's brother might be a fast eighth grader. Should we go there now or later?
1: Uh, I'm willing to have that discussion in five years from now. How about that? Okay. Moving on, there's a meet in Kenya in Saturday. I was pretty excited by this, the Kip Kano Classic. They held it at Kasarani Stadium in Nairobi, and there are a lot of interesting results in this one. I mean, the two big ones, I would say, were the 200-meter races. Shelly-Ann fraser price runs 1067 to win the women's race, really fast opener, her third fastest ever. She gets a bit of a boost from the altitude. I believe it's about 5,300 feet Caserani Stadium. But she also ran into a slight headwind of point four, So, comes out to about 10.71. That's still a really good time for her first 100 of the year. And then the men's race, we hyped this up. This was Marcel Jacobs against Fred Curley. That was the showdown everyone was excited for. Marcel Jacobs Turns out he has stomach issues. He has to go to the hospital. He withdraws from the race. And instead, we get Fred Curley against Ferdinand Omanyala, the Kenyan, who ran 977 at this meet last year. And it's Omanyala who takes the, the victory, 985. And then afterwards, he goes up in the stands. He's celebrating with the Kenyan president, Uhuru Kenyatta. The Kenyan fans who were there went wild. I thought it was a, a good meet. There were some pretty. Good performances in the distance events as well. We have the the list. We converted some of those to what they would be like at sea level. I'm a little skeptical of the conversions, especially for athletes who've born and lived their whole lives at altitude. But even without altitude, I mean Abel kept saying won the men's fifteen hundred in three thirty-one oh one. That's really good. Nora Gerudo won the women's steeple in nine oh four. I mean, those times are good at sea level or not. So I enjoyed watching this meet. Did you guys see any of it? Do you have any thoughts about it?
3: I saw some highlights, John, but come on. You're not. uh, Of course, Marcel Jacobs didn't race. I can't believe you guys bought that story. Could have predicted. I could have predicted somehow that Coleman, that uh, Coleman, excuse me, that Curly and Jacobs somehow wouldn't race. I almost said that in the podcast. I knew, I predicted Shakari Richardson wouldn't race, but I guess that's not too smart. But I thought, like, are the Olympic gold and silver medalists really going to race, essentially, in the first sort of big permit meeting of the year? I'm just like, it's just too good to be true. And in the week that was, you guys seemed to buy into the stomach bug thing. I I think he very well could have gotten sick, but of course it happened. Our sport can never have super matchups.
1: Yeah, it did kind of feel like yeah. Of course, this, I I know what you're saying, Weldon, but I can sympathize because one, first of all, Fred Cur- sorry, Fred Curley was there. He raced, but Marcel Jacobs was in Kenya. You know, he did the pre meet press. The paparazzi was getting photos of him landing at the airport. I like how they do that for the Kenyan athletes. They have you know they they taught to they did an airport press conference with Shelly and Fraser Price, which I thought was interesting as well. But then it says, oh, he's got stomach issues and he has to go to the hospital. I was just thinking, when I went to I went to Kenya in 2017, we did a story on Elliot Kipchoge, and then the, few, the next week we were in Uganda for the World Cross-Country Championships. And before I went on that trip, I was told, you know, you should stick to bottled water because as a Westerner, you know, your stomach might have problems with some of the tap water in Kenya or in East Africa, Kenya and Uganda. And... The night before World XC in Uganda, I ordered a salad at an Italian restaurant, not thinking that the salad would be washed with tap water, but it was, and had horrible stomach issues that night and the following day. I'm like, would I be shocked if this happened to Marcel Jacobs, that he went to some Italian restaurant, he is Italian, the night before a race, orders a salad, and then suddenly, you know, he's crapping his brains out? I wouldn't be shocked at all. So, yeah, look, if he withdraws from pre or he withdraws from Rome in June, maybe I get a little bit more skeptical, but I'm inclined to believe that this is a genuine case of food poisoning.
3: I think the common denominator, John, is Italian food. When I went to the World Half Marathon Championships and got food poisoning, where were the World Half Marathon Championships? In Italy. In Italy. I apologize to America for embarrassing the country in that one. Look,
0: John did the lion's share of the week that was this week, but I changed the language on the Marcel Jacobs. John's like we're inclined to believe. I one hundred percent believe that he was sick. I mean, this is not a guy. Like, why would he skip? Why would he fly to Kenya and then skip out on the meet? you think he's trying to take some of the parents fee, but not risk losing. If this guy was worried about losing and blowing his appearance fees, he would have never shown up at world indoors. I mean, this guy was supposed to get his butt handed to him at world indoors. And yet he won it. I think this guy just likes to compete. I'm so impressed by him showing up at these meets. So totally by the excuse, he got sick and couldn't race. So it's kind of funny though, that in Kenya, to me, the big takeaway to keep Kenya classic is man. Some of these people are good at running in altitude. It, it, that's one. And two, it's crazy in Kenya that the the top thing we're talking about is sprinting in Kenya. And that's in part because the two Olympic champions on the track for Kenya, Faith Kip Yegan and Manuel Career, neither one of them ran in this meet. they Kip Yegan's running in Doha, and Career's running in Puerto Rico this, this weekend. If you look at this time, like, why can't Chesrick make a Kenyan team? I thought, oh, maybe he's not good at running at altitude. These guys are running, th- Jacob Crop 13-12, at five thousand feet in a real race. King Ches is running thirteen twelve at perfect out alt- low altitude, perfect conditions.
1: Yeah, well Robert, one of the things about Chesreck is we were saying, Oh, he's gonna make all these teams when so he was coming out of college because this was at the Nadir of Kenyan five K running in twenty sixteen they didn't have any Olympic finalists, twenty seventeen I think they only had one. Now they've actually got some legit guys, you know, Jacob Crop. they've got Nicholas Kamelli, who was fourth at the Olympics last year. So It's harder to make the team, but it's a good point on him. A couple other things I wanted to mention about this meet. First of all, this 100, with Obignala and Curley, I thought it was interesting because the first, it was called back for a full start, and Fred Curley ran probably further than almost anyone else. I would say he made about 40 meters before he turned around. And Fred Curley, you know, going in, he's the Olympic silver medalist. He's been in good form. I would say he was the favorite in this race. And then the second time they fired the gun, there's been screen captures. Race take tweeted out this picture. Omin he's off the ground already where everyone else is on the ground. Now, it's not synced up to the gun, so it's kind of hard to tell if it's an actual full start, but they're saying maybe he got away with one and also that Curly might have been a little bit tired because he ran harder and longer for the first full start. So, yeah, Race take is also a big Fred Curly fan, so you might be a little biased here, but I did think it was sort of interesting elements uh, to consider when you look at this result.
0: Say to say that Ray's take is a big Fred Curley fan is understating it. He's been on record saying Fred Curley is going to break Usain Bolt's 100 meter world record. So the, the false start. Year. I love conspiracy theories. It's interesting, but the only negative part about this thing that doesn't work is is the fact that we saw in NC indoors, John having to run the. 60 meters before the race actually helps you helps you run faster. Remember, they they all started the men's 60 NCAAs this year. It was like, well, we know who's not going to win. It's the guy that ran the whole 60 meters. Nope, they bring him back. Now there was like a 20 minute gap though, and then he won again. He ran even faster. (laughs) So it it was pretty 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 cool stuff. It's a good meet. I would like to point out one thing about this meet. You saw the the the, in the crowd with the Kenyans president and that stuff if you that's the only clip you saw it looked like there was a huge crowd this stadium was by no means full now it's a huge stadium it's sixty thousand people but i just would like to i've always said people always say some people don't have never been to kenya like oh the kenyans are good runners because track and field is really popular in kenya it's not really popular in track and field in kenya and john will this finally let the world know that like soccer is, is the number one sport there they're no good at soccer even though they love soccer so it's not about what sport is popular. Now, I do think it can have people realize it could be life-changing money. But again, that doesn't explain why only one tribe makes that life-changing money. It's called genetics.
1: Well, I was hoping that there would be a better turnout than this. It was kind of hard to tell because some of the levels of the bowl overlap. But it looked like almost the majority of the fans were all in the home straightaway area. Most of the rest of the stadium was pretty empty. But I was optimistic because when they hosted the World Under-18 Championships in 2017... There were tons of fans there, and I think that's a lot of it because there was free entry for a lot of those days, but it was also free entry for this meet. They announced this sort of late in the day. So I guess the question for you guys, do you think Nairobi can and should host a world championships coming up soon? Because we've got 2025 and 2027 yet to be awarded. Would this be a good spot for world championships? Do you think they should have it there?
0: absolutely i want them to have it there i think it'd be great for a number of reasons one it's never been in africa two the spread times would be insane because of the altitude and three kenya's gotten a lot of good distance runners i think they would get you know it's an event like when they have world cross there it was packed people just generally go if it's like oh it's a world championship you're living in kenya no offense there's not like a lot of nba games or nfl games to go to or premier league soccer games it's a big event. I think it would it would draw enough fans. And come on. I mean, I'm not trying to knock Kenya for not being popular there. I mean, the Oregon Relays crowd, did you see that? Like, I, I've said this. Can, can we look at the crowds in Eugene in the last few weeks and in Kenya this week and just admit that neither one, there's nowhere in the world where it's just like you put on a random track meet and tens of thousands of people show up to watch it, period.
1: No. Yeah, well, yeah, you need to promote it and stuff. But, I agree with you, Robert. I think I think 2025 should go to Tokyo because they kind of got screwed with the 2020 Olympics. They've got this brand new stadium. Get give the Japanese fans a chance to go and cheer at this meet. And then 2027, I think you take it to Nairobi. It's way past due that Africa has hosted the championships. I do think people will come out and support if this thing was promoted. I think having it in Nairobi, yeah, would be fun with the sprint times. It might be challenging for the distance runners, but. This isn't look. They had an Olympics at Mexico City, which was way higher than Nairobi, and you can question whether the wisdom of that. But I think fifty three hundred is doable fifty three hundred feet for altitude at a World Championship. So yeah, that would be my proposal: Tokyo twenty twenty five, Nairobi twenty twenty seven.
3: Yeah, as long as they get security done, I'm fine with it. I think there's there were some concerns even with the World Juniors about the U.S. State Department, security, whatever. But the coolest event I've ever been to in my life by far was the World Cross-Country Championships in Mombasa. I think it would be just super cool to have it in Kenya. I think the people will get behind it. So I, I, I said security and the money. You need the prize money. If World Athletics, I don't know, who, if who or the Kenyan government just puts up the cost, but you know, putting up, I don't know what the number is, $50, $60 million might be more of an issue in Kenya, whereas the state of Oregon's floating a lot of the world's costs this year so if, if the kenyan government's like hey we have other things we're concerned about but it might be it'd be good for the brand of kenya i think i would encourage people to go visit um and i think we've seen the fans when they do come out in kenya at least the mombasa is any indication it's awesome
1: yeah they might have to do what they did in doha where they just sort of give away some tickets to fill the stadiums. But if they do it, you are going to get wild crowds. The crowds at the World Under seven, uh, world under 18 in 2017 were terrific. Now imagine that for the World Championships. You've got stars, well, maybe Faith could be gone. Who knows if she's still winning. But Kenya is going to have some distant stars whenever they hold this meet. They are one of the great track and field nations. So yeah, I think it would be a great atmosphere. Yeah, ticket sales
3: are just like a drop in the bucket for the overall cost of worlds i don't know what percent we could try to figure that out but maybe you know you sell tickets and then or try to sell the main viewing points get a lot of foreigners to come and then whatever you the upper bowl or whatever you give away those tickets or reduce costs just i want it packed i want 100 percent capacity every
1: session (laughs) All right. Well, good luck getting that. 60,000 for every session. I mean, morning sessions. Come on, Weldon.
3: The morning session should never exist.
0: Other thing that caught my eye from this meet was the Women's 800 Prudence. If you told me at the beginning of the year that on May 10th, the world leaders, top two in the world in the 800 would be American Allie Wilson at 158.18. And then South African Prudence Segadisa. 20 year old ran 158 41 hadn't broken 201, so just a name to be looking out for. Um, moving forward,
3: wait. So Allie Wilson ran a world leader at sound running. We haven't mentioned her name till now. I mean, I think she deserves a shout out.
1: She does, and one of the things we talked about was like the problem is for Allie Wilson, she's if she's gonna make the team, she's gonna have to beat Ajay Wilson. I think Mo or Raven Rogers at USA's, all of which is pretty hard. But no, one fifty eight. While well, she was losing her balance too, I thought she had a really interesting Instagram post afterwards that she said she would see people like passing out at the finish line or like diving or just utterly collapsing. She's like, I don't think I've ever pushed myself that hard in a race. Like I want to go there someday. And then she does it. You know, she loses her balance a few meters from the finish line, ends up face planting, but gets across the finish line and wins it in a big PB, a world leader. I thought that was a cool race. So yeah, look, you run 158 in May. She's definitely got a shot to make the team. It's just going to be, you know, all right, should I be getting super excited for someone who might not even be running for the U.S. at the world championships in July?
3: I don't know, but nice run by her. Atlanta Track Club, doing some things this year, 800 meters. Olivia Baker made the team. World
1: Endorsed Team. Shane Shane Strike Strike. American record in the 1K? Absolutely. They're having a great year.
3: We should have maybe extended our coaching series and had the Bagways on.
0: We, we have the Bakers on. I, I was thinking more people. Terrence Mahan. The Hansons apparently never responded. Like to have them on. Look, it, the Atlanta Track Club deserves credit for this. I mean, they've started this team that's doing well. But just type in Allie Wilson. Her bio comes up on the Atlanta Track Club page. It's updated with her PB from last weekend. I can't get over USATF. The, the communications department there is so antiquated and so outdated. Like They don't do bios. Like, like Most colleges don't update bios and have anything of sense right here. It's got bios. It tells you what her role is at the Atlanta Track Club. She's the coordinator for volunteer services. Got a Q&A with her. It's absolutely amazing. If Rich Kanaugh, the head of the Atlanta Track Club, is not the head-next head of USATF. If he wants that job, it's an absolute disgrace. This guy has innovative ideas and it was a former elite runner. He would try to change things up. He is what we need to move this sport forward in this country. I mean, he he really does a great job of trying to involve all of the community, old legends, racially diverse. Who, who's the old spinner that he has working for him and stuff like that. He just, it's, one good idea after another.
1: Yeah, they got a good thing going down there in Atlanta, so keep up the good work, guys. Uh, Alright. There was an American record in the half marathon last weekend, and we're almost an hour in, and we haven't discussed it. So I think it's time to give Emily Sisson her due, especially because this was a hard one record. In 2019 in Houston, she came up five seconds shy of Molly Huddle's American record. 2020 Valencia, she came up one second shy and then Sarah Hall comes in Houston this year, breaks Huddle's record, takes it down to sixty-seven fifteen. Emily Sisson, she's building back in. She had an injury last year, heading into the Olympics. She had to withdraw from the New York City Marathon. She comes back, wins the US 15K title in March, but then she gets COVID at the end of the month. And you're thinking, oh man, the thing, everything's just lining up against her. But she goes out there to Indianapolis, Destroys the field. She had the help of a couple of male pacemakers. But even through 20K, she was behind pace. And you're thinking, man, she might not get it. I was watching the end of the race, and I was like, she's going to have to pick it up. And she did. She closed very well over her last 12, uh, last 1,000 meters, run 67-11 to get the American record and win the U.S. half marathon title. So congrats to Emily Sisson. And I think... You know, I said this when Sarah Hall broke the record. I think this record can continue to be improved. Remember, we're in a world with super shoes where the world record is 62-52. Sisson told Fast women going to the race, she was going to try to go out mid-66's pace and try to pick it up. So that to me tells me that she may have broken this American record, but not everything went perfectly in the buildup or in the race. I think Sisson or someone else is capable of lowering it, but congrats to her for getting the record.
0: The record's definitely soft, soft in absolute sense. I mean, she talked about running much faster if she hadn't gotten COVID. Here's my big, bold prediction. It just hit me. She's going to be the American record holder in the marathon. I think it's going to happen this fall. She's a better runner than Kira D'Amato. And I think she talked in this interview kind of about or afterwards. Or I think it was her. Someone said, like, I just think that we're going to reset the bar of what's a good time in America. And I think with the super shoes, it's going to be her. I was just looking her up until a She really only run. Two marathons in her life?
1: Yeah, she ran London in her debut in 2019. 223, went really well. And then she DNFed to the trials. She was supposed to run New York. I mean, remember, we were in an area where during COVID there weren't many marathons. And also after she didn't make the marathon team, she was like, well, I'm going to refocus on training for the track. So kind of makes sense. But I guess, Robert, if she's going to break the American record, you're assuming she's either going to run Chicago or Berlin or maybe even London again because she's she was supposed to run New York last year and she's not going to get it there.
0: Oh, so she might go back to New York because she's it's, supposed to do it last year. It's possible.
1: Well, I, I'm very shocked she didn't
0: run Boston. You know, a spring marathon. But I mean, she's based in where she used to be based in Providence, right? I mean, she's got Tysias Coast, but I think she doesn't like hills, right? So but to me Boston and New York don't make sense to her. Why bother with those races? I guess you make money as an American, but you're going to make a lot of money if you get the American record. Emily, screw New York, you'll get that American record in the marathon.
1: Now wait, Robert, this Emily Sisson person—it's weird. Didn't didn't you have a conversation with her coach one year? He told you she'd be good at the marathon. Is is that the same person I'm remembering? That's
0: the same person, but ironically, that was done at Boston, which she seems to be avoiding. So that's why I came up with the, with the hill theory. Those of you who are new to the podcast, I like to talk about how when Emily was in college, I would talk to her coach, Ray Tracy. He said, of all the people I've ever coached, she's made for the marathon. So I used to bring it up on every podcast. I purposely didn't bring it up, and now you're trying to embarrass me and kick me while I'm down. Former voice of the Ivy League, and now you're still piling on.
1: Yeah, no kicking, just a little gentle poking fun here, Robert. A little ribbing. But you mentioned this. Are we burying the lead here? Former voice of the Ivy League. Now, track fans listening to this podcast, international fans may not be aware, the most important track meet of 2022 was held last weekend, the Outdoor Hectagonal Championships at at Weldon's alma mater, Yale University. And Rojo was not on the mic, and we haven't received an explanation. Robert, what happened? Did they... Did you get cancelled? Were they scouring your message board posts? Why were you not providing color commentary on the most important track meet of 2022?
0: Thankfully, John, I was not cancelled, at least not that I was aware of. Look, My dad went to Yale. Walden went to Yale. And I've always been told you can never trust a Harvard man. And that's just, that's what happened here. Like, even though the meet was at Yale, it was produced by the Harvard TV people. And when I was at the doing the indoor meet, my commentator there said, the Harvard production guy, he doesn't care if you know track. He only likes to work with commentators that he's used to working with. So I said, oh, I guess I'm not doing outdoors. And I was going to complain to the Ivy League office and be like, this is absurd. You're going to have people do, do a track meet that don't know anything about tracks because they're used to working with the producers. But apparently that's, but I forgot to complain. Then I got a lot going on, a lot of other meets I need to go to, like in Eugene. So I'm like, my wife, I can only push for so many meets. I'll sit this one out and watch the shit show develop and see how bad it is, and hopefully people notice that I was missed. Please report. I just got off the phone with the coach this morning. It was a shit show, and the commentating was was not good. So,
1: wow, Robert just lapping up the Sheldon Freud today. Wow, do you think like you know NFL
3: analysts go on podcast and shit another NFL analyst?
1: No, that's generally considered poor form. Well then.
3: Well, no. I've worked with the two guys that did it. I thought the
0: play-by-play was great. Was actually fine. It's just the guy that took my place and did color was my play-by-play guy indoors. He just—he's he, not a track guy. It would be like me t- trying to provide color commentary for synchronized swimming or something. It'd be very hard to fill the time.
3: Well. Maybe next time, Robert. At least Bill Spaulding wasn't on there. Was, I, thought it was, I thought he was going to say Bill Spaulding and Jenny Simpson were on the broadcast. But I guess they've gone bigger time. And my apologies. University's about, I don't know, 30 miles from where I live, 45 miles. was not there in attendance. Had to go to a wedding. Had to go to a wedding. Out of state, out of state. So, still love the Bulldogs, even though we had a last place... The cross-country, that's all we care about.
1: Alright, Robin, one thing I wanted to just backtrack a second that USATF Half Marathon Championships in Indianapolis. I just viewed that as a big missed opportunity for the sport there. I like that they had it in Indianapolis. I thought it was a cool course. They actually ran some of the race on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There's some pretty cool pictures online if you check those out, but This was the race, USATF only announced five weeks before the race that this was going to be the national championships in the half marathon. And unsurprisingly, you got really small fields. 11 women were on the start line, 19 men. Way smaller than what we had at the USATF half champs in December for 2021. You had more than 40 in each field. Emily Sisson won by six minutes. The second-place woman in this race ran 113. This is USATF's backyard. They're headquartered in in Indianapolis, and I don't know if they just reached an agreement with this race because no other race wanted to host it, and they're like, well, we got at least someone to host the national championships this year. I don't know what went into it, but it wasn't promoted well. It was a last-minute announcement. I just think all around... Emily Sisson saved it and then Leonard Correa won the men's race in the kick it was exciting but it just could have done so much more to promote the sport in USATF's headquarters city and instead you know we get a race where we've got 11 women running a national championship
0: do I need to should I just repeat what I said earlier about Rich Kana becoming the head of USATF where you actually like reach out to media members and promote things I mean there's a thread in Let's Run about how they people who are diehard runners who live in Indianapolis had no idea this race was going on. So,
3: oh, <laughs> well, Robert, the Indian Indy, what is, is this? The Indy mini half marathon or whatever it's called. That goes on to every year. So how do they not know the race is not going on? That part. I don't get like, okay, the race should have been announced more in advance. Or no, it is what it is. Uh, you think rich, how old are his kids? think he's going to move his fam- family to Indianapolis. I doubt it. He's got a good gig going in Atlanta.
1: Okay, moving on. I wanted to talk some Cooper Tier On Friday night, he ran 334 personal best in the 1500. Shitty conditions in Eugene. It was rainy. It was windy. I saw him starting this. He had Cole Hawker to pace him. But I was like, there's no way he's going to get the standard. His PR is 335 high. It's not ideal. Yeah, this is just really tough. Not a, lot of, not a lot of Americans run the standard every year. But Cooper Tier really impressed me. He got it done, even in the subpar conditions, and it made me think, we had this discussion briefly on the Friday 15, Robert, but is he the favorite for the U.S. 1500-meter title right now? You know, as things stand at the moment, would you take him? Would you take Cole Hawker? Would you take Matthew Sentrowitz, who hasn't raced at all, but says he's going to be running the Bowman mile?
0: Yes, he's the favorite. I don't understand why he wouldn't be. I mean, I guess Cole Hawker won last year and, and is really good in tactical races. But Cooper Tier's never lost to Cole Hawker in a 1,500 or mile. Now, normally those are rapid affairs, and in the time trials, Tears appears to be better than Hawker. But you need to think, well, who's going to push the pace in the 1,500 if it's a championship-style race? So I was going to uh, slow race. I could see how Hawker could beat him. But Tears' speed has gotten a lot better. I mean, during COVID, like the first year of COVID, I remember when I kind of first became aware of Cooper Tier, I think he did like a sub-150-800 fifty one, one sub on YouTube, and I like watched it and kind of thought, oh, this guy's got a cool personality. But he was like bragging kind of about his lack of speed. He's run 147-48 this year indoors. So if it's really tactical, I guess he could lose. He's going to push the pace, but I just... He's a super stud. He's pretty damn fast. And the other people don't seem to be as good a form. I mean, Cole Hawker's 146-39. So if it's slow, Hawker could beat him. I'm not ruling it out, but is he? I think he's a lock for the team. That lock might be a little strong.
1: I'm still not sure if I would call him a lock. I, I feel like I would pick him on the team right now, for sure. But You know, we've got a couple, we've got seven weeks or so to get ready for USAs. What I really like, though, is after this race, he told the Register Guard he might be trying to make both teams, 1,500 and 5K. No one's done that in the U.S. since Bernard Lagarde. Tia's only 22, and when I see that, I do get the flashbacks to Clayton Murphy in 2017. You know, he's coming off the Olympic medal. He tried to make the 1,500 800 teams at USA's. But that's a different situation. Running the... You got three rounds of the... 800 and two rounds of the 15. That's a really tough double. This one, you, the schedule is very nice, actually. You have the 1,500 semis on day one. You have the 1,500 final on day three. And you've got a straight final in the 5,000 on day four. So, could Coupétier Cooper, conceivably run both? Absolutely. Could he make both teams? Certainly got a shot. So, I'm excited to see that. What I really am... Also waiting to see the Balmer mile. We always get excited for it, but that's going to be pretty telling because you've got Cooper Tia, you've got Cole Hawker, and you've got Matthew Centrowitz is scheduled to make his season debut. So we're going to get to see where those guys all stand in terms of the top American milers about one month out from USA is on the same track. So that should be a good show.
3: I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We said he was the favorite right now. So I don't see Cole Hawkers and anything since then. So I'm not sure why that would have changed. But I don't think he's a lock to make the team in the 1500. We still don't know championship 1500 meter racing. Kind of moderate race. How does he do with the kick? So I think until that happens, we don't know how it's going to be. I, I still really like his chances better to make the team in the 15 than the 5. And the way it's set up, if he's going to run the 15, you also enter in the 5. So he could end up making both teams. Huge opportunity for him. It's impressive. He just, you know, I'm almost surprised. I'm glad there's some, I don't know what the word is, integrity still in the sport. It's downpouring in Oregon. It's kind of near the end of the meet, right, John? And, and they didn't delay anything. They're like, nope, gun's got to go off. He's got to get the time in this, these conditions, and he did it. So congrats to Cooper. What's interesting is it, look, looking ahead to USA's is,
0: I feel like Hawker and Tier are good enough friends that, like, they would kind of help each other set the pace. Like, Tier could take it for six hundred, then Hawker could take over. Which, ironically, Hawker would be best suited. It's like, no, I'm not going to help you if you want this to be fast. You've got to push
1: the thing. Well, he's done pretty well in these fast races too. I mean, NCAA indoors, he made the fa- the pace fast in the mile. I guess it- USA's last year it didn't really matter, but. I could definitely see that because Cole Hawker, I think, can kick off pretty much any pace is what I've seen so far. All right, one other thing I wanted to discuss related to this. John Wesley Harding on the Let's Run message boards, he had an interesting thread about how many Americans will join the sub-13 club in the next three years. And right now, there are 10 Americans in that club. He thinks there's going to be 16 by the end of 2024. And he posted... The following additions. This year, Cooper Tier and Joe Klecker. Next year, Cole Hawker and Abdulhamid Noor. And 2024, Nico Young and Morgan Beagle- Scum. He did not include Emmanuel Bohr, who ran 13 flat this year indoors and then said, after that race, he told me he was going to break 12.50 outdoors. Connor Mance, who's run 13.10 indoors this year. Matthew Sentrowitz, 13 flat PB. And Sean McGordy, who's run 13.06. What do you make of the six athletes he included? Would you delete any? Would you add any? Or has he got it spot on?
3: Oh, Emmanuel Bohr has to be added to the list. I mean, he ran 13 flat indoors. So I think he'd get it. Guys, I don't know. If you want to be relevant, you better start thinking of how to break 13 minutes. It's not what it once was. Everybody needs to think if they're a 5K runner, they got to figure out a way to break 13 minutes. It's kind of crazy to say that, but that's the new reality boys.
1: I think all all the guys he listed, I'm not certain about Skim, though I do think is very good, but I think all the guys he listed have sub-13 potential. The thing is, like, getting in the right race. Like, how many chances are these guys actually going to get to break 13 minutes a given year? They might get one shot a year at a race that goes that fast. Now, joining the Bowman Track Club, Maybe boost your chances because that seems like all they do. They have like one shot. You know, they they get in these tailor-made races. But I don't know. I I think it's tough. Like Galen Rupp, he had a lot of chances. He broke 13 once in his entire life, and he was in a lot of fast 5Ks. And he's one of the greatest talents America's ever produced. Now, they've got the super shoes now, but I think it's more about like getting in the right race for it. It's it's just really hard. There aren't a ton of sub thirteen races, and you have to be in the shape to capitalize. So, I think six is a little high. I'd probably say it's going to be maybe four guys. But I do think all these guys, and Bo, I'd put Bohr on the list as well. Not Mance. I think Mance will be on the roads. So I don't think he'll get in a fast five k like that. I think Sean McGordy would have a shot if he gets if he can stay healthy. I think I like his chances to do it as well. Robert, what say you? I
0: should give. John Wesley Harding's credit for making a I always say my my job is to make a boring sport interesting. Makes this topic interesting. I'm like, why do I care who's gonna run 1310? Because this is what I view it as back in the day. But Adam Goucher's POB was 1310. So it's still pretty good marking. I mean, look, Tear's definitely gonna do it. I mean, I think Clucker could, but why would he bother? He's a five thousand. He's not gonna be a five thousand guy, is he? He's gonna be a ten thousand. I mean, how many is he ever gonna take a crack at it? Maybe.
1: I, well, he was just in a race that was won 1302 and he ran 1304 so yeah I could see him that's f-
0: perfect conditions you don't normally get that in the Doha Diamond League and he may not be bothering to try to crack it unless he just if they all set out to do it I think you'd have at least six wait Klecker was on the list right yes I'd say five I think you'll have five more to do it Tyr, Hawker, Nur, probably Nico, Young and somebody else
1: I'm not sure about Hawker.
0: One of the collector Beagle's Gummer. What's his name? Four.
1: I guess Hawker did run that 5K earlier this year to get the world championship standard. Maybe he decides he wants to start doubling USAs as well, but he's so good in the 1500. I don't know if he'd be racing a ton of 5Ks, so that's one question I have about him. But does he have the ability to one day do it? Yeah, I think he does.
3: And I didn't give enough praise or any praise to Clecker earlier. I thought his 1304 was great. Sets up great for him. I mean, one week ago he hadn't raced all year, and we're like, oh, is this guy gonna be ready for USA's? No, he's in 1304 shape, top American. Like, I guess the Bowerman guys ran, you know, way under 13, but it's looking good for him to make another US team.
0: John brought up his favorite message board throughout the week. Mine was one that I started, yours truly. And it was on the Kentucky Derby winner, Rich Strike. We'll link to this thread in, in the show notes. I, I think I started titled it like this has to be the greatest finish to any race I've ever seen in the history of my life. Middley wasn't a foot race from people; it was a horse race. But this horse comes from way back, weaves through the entire field, and wins it. The call was amazing. If you actually want to see good commentary, like the excitement of the announcer and to pick up, like the last, most least likely person in a twenty horse field to come out of nowhere and he got the name right, right at the finish, was amazing and this generated a thread this thread has generated lots of other great finishes so the thread is full of great historic mostly track and field finishes it's just four or five pages of, of great stuff to watch so take a look at that in the show notes but let's get excited for what's coming up we got track and field's opening day on friday doha but we've got a nice appetizer on friday night paul doyle of the american track league is putting on a race in, in puerto rico it's going to be on espn right
1: ESPN 2, 6 to 8 p.m. Thursday night. That's Thursday yeah, a
0: great time. And the fields are loaded. There's like 12 Olympic champions or something?
1: Yeah, there are 12 individual Olympic champions. I'm not sure. I guess the fields, I don't know about the depth. I know there's a lot of star power up top. And we do get a nice showdown, Emmanuel Correa versus Karani James in the 400. I don't know about the rest of the fields, but I'm certainly excited to see some of these. Elaine Thompson, Hurrah, running the 100. That's exciting. A Thing Mo in a 400. career and James. Steven Gardner's in the 300. Adding him to that 400 would have been even crazier. But I think he would have won because Steven Gardner doesn't lose 400s. He's undefeated in that distance since 2017 very quietly. But Christian Taylor is returning to the triple jump. Trayvon Bromell and Marvin Bracey in the 100. I- I'm excited. I think it's going to be good. And any meet that's on any sort of national ESPN platform, on American TV, you can just turn on cable and put it on ESPN2. That, to me, is a win for the sport. So, yeah, absolutely a very nice appetizer, Robert, for the Doha meet on Friday.
3: I mean, I love the time of this, too. 6 to 8 p.m. during the week. I don't know. I guess because the Diamond League out a time in the U.S. is during the week. at like 3 p.m. It's sort of like Champions League soccer. But... To have a meet, primetime ESPN, this is great. You know, the other meets are on usually the weekends. I was just shocked to see these fields. Elaine Thompson, hurrah. I mean, every time she runs, it's fabulous. And then on Friday, you got Donovan Brazier turning to action in the Diamond League.
0: Well, just how about the Diamond League returning, period? What time is this meet, John?
1: This is noon Eastern on Friday and I believe it will be streaming on Peacock, according to Josh Cox. He sometimes does the commentary. So, yeah, absolutely worth tuning in for. We're going to have a com live reaction show afterwards where we'll break everything down, all the big performances. Now, there are a lot of big names in this meet, but Brazier, he's the one you're most excited for, Weldon, in the 800?
0: No, no, no. This meet is like the track meet on steroids. We, we, we got to just hype this up first. I mean... Weldon's most excited about Brazier returning, I guess from an American standpoint, but really? I mean, I I just, to me, it's, well, can I say it?
1: I don't know what you're going to say. So go ahead and say it, Robert.
0: The whole meet is, is, is insane to begin with, but I'm most excited about the men's 1500. You've got the uh, Timothy chariot. You've got Etienne, the guy that I've been, uh, John thinks I'm hyping up. Abel kept saying, just ran 331 flat at altitude. That's converted according to the NCAA. calculator is 325.94. Do I think he's going to run the world record? No. But everyone that threads, like, look, he's in 328 shape. Now, th- this race is fat. You got Yamif Kave- Kave- Kajelcha in that. Stewie McSwain. I mean, th- it's insane how good that race is for the beginning of the year. Now, I, I forgot to update an article the week that was a few weeks ago when I talked about Timothy Chariot losing in this Kenya race where he was only six. I got a nice email from someone. I apologize; I don't have your name in front of me. And they're like, "Look, did you see what Kanova posted about this? Like, he did. A, he did what what an Anger did to do last week. Chariot was in this race. He needed to run in for the armed forces or whatever, police or whatever, and he just cruised in. He didn't kick it in. He just cruised in in sixth place. So it doesn't mean that he's not in shape. But we know Kip saying's in insane shape. Etienne's a talent. Chariot, that's just Unreal, but women's 3K Faith Kepi wondering why, why didn't she run in Kenya because she's going to Doha to get paid, honey. racing fancy Indian Sabah the intersex star. So that's going to be really good. Uh, I think world record holder, in the Steeple Chase, is also in that race, John. Right? Am I wrong?
1: Beatrice coach Yes, I think she is. Uh, she didn't have a great year last year, though. She wasn't healthy. So TBD, I mean, she is a very good flat runner. But who knows how healthy she's gonna be. Beatrice Chabat also, who won this meet in eight twenty seven last year, but I think it's gonna be Nietzsche and Kipigon. those are the two to watch. And Kipigon, she's run really well at eight hundred. We haven't seen her do a ton of stuff at the longer distances, but she was remember a two time world junior cross country champ. So interesting. And she's interesting running she in twenties.
0: She I think she's gonna wipe Nian Sabah in this race.
1: I think you're forgetting how good Nia Sama was last year. I think it's going to be interesting. But, you, you, Robert, you're wrong. The best event is not the men's 1500. It's the men's 200. Fred Curley, Andre DeGrasse, Noah Lyles. So you got the Olympic champion against the world champion. And you got Fred Curley in there, who's been in great form. That's the race of the meet for me.
3: I mean, that's the sprint matchup of the meet for sure. I guess Aaron Knighton couldn't get away from high school. You know, he's got like... Chemistry test the next day or something.
0: Did we say Dos Santos, Benjamin Samba, and the 400 hurdles? But this 800. Well, I am surprised, Donald Brazier, that his first 800 since the injury at the trials is going to be a diamond in the league. Like, wouldn't you want to, like, have a sort of stick your toe into, like, some shallow water before just jumping into the deep end? Like, he's facing Marco Arock, Bryce Hopple.
1: I mean, it doesn't shock me. Remember 2018, he missed that whole season outdoors. He did run an indoor season in 2019, but his first indoors... his You know, he ran a few indoor races this year, but his first indoor... Sorry, his first outdoor race in his World Championship season of 2019 was the Doha Diamond League. He only got third there, and then he didn't lose an 800 the rest of the year. So... If they're following the same playbook, I I don't see an issue with that.
3: Ferguson Cherry is in there? To me, the fact Razor's running this race... I guess, do I always have to have the caveat assuming he's running? It just indicates everything's going well. You don't debut in Doha unless things are going well behind the scenes. So, very optimistic for this one.
1: Yeah, and we also get to see the young Kenyan, Noah Kabat, who was the silver medalist at World Indoors at the age of 17. Really big talent. Uh, he's. I assume this has to be his Diamond League de- debut. There's no way he's run one before. And Sorry, he's actually 18. He just turned 18 on April 12th. He was born in 2004. That is crazy. But yeah, he's running this race. Bryce Hoppel as well. Marco Arop of Canada. That's going to be a good one. And then the men's steeple has a lot of the top talent in there as well. Lometra Germa, the Olympic silver medalist. Sufian Al bakali the Olympic champion. Hillary Bohr, the American, is in there. Abraham Kibawad of Kenya. Gettin Wale, fourth placer from the Olympics. And Benjamin Keegan, who was the bronze medalist. So you got the top four from the Olympics last year, plus Hillary Bohr. That's going to be pretty exciting as well. So star power all around. Whitman's 200 as well. That's to- That's another one. Gabby Thomas. Dina Asher-Smith is back. What is she like? Can she step up and challenge the Jamaicans over 200 in 2022 if she's fully healthy and Sharika Jackson, the Olympic bronze medalist of the hundred. So again, most of these track races are just really strong and should be a really good meet on, on Friday.
0: It's going to be amazing. We've got Thursday night track and field. Then we wake up again, Diamond opener open or 12 noon to two. My son is on another COVID quarantine. He's, I swear to God, he's missed eight weeks of school this year because of COVID Friday will be his first day back. So I'll actually like, be totally focused on this meet. And then we'll break it down live for you. If you can't catch the live show, we're going to we put this into your feed for the Supporters Club for the Friday 15 bonus podcast. So join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Speaking of which, I need to give Weldon the access to the voice the text line as well. John, too. Maybe I should give it to John. John's really good at text, though. So. I'll give you the app you download to your computer and eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six 538 or come right to your computer, John, so you can interact with the fans.
1: Well, what I would recommend, I would say, look, if you have a day off or something you can take from work and you're listening to this or you're considering you're in college and you really got one class or something, Friday might be a nice day to sort of check out early or don't even, you know, just take a sick day. You got track and field at 9, at 9 a.m. if you're a West Coast, noon, if, noon Eastern, it's supposed to be it's seventy nine degrees, high of seventy nine in Boston. It's going to be a really nice day. You know, it's just it's just. I want you to spend some of the time outside, but you start off by watching the track and field, maybe with a beer in your hand. Then you listen to us break it down on our post meet reaction show, and then you got a few hours to enjoy the day afterwards. It should be it's beautiful weather here in Boston. Uh, Friday is going to be great. I'm already looking forward to it, guys.
3: Yeah. And, John, you forgot how we, what a joke college is. College is pretty much over. Well, they might be in exams. I think a lot of colleges are in exams. So. Oh, true. Take a break from your studying. Watch the meet. And if you join the Supporters Club, you'll hear the reaction in your podcast. And you save 20% on running shoes. And you get the free training plan. This thing pays for itself. Very few subscriptions pay for the shirt. We have the softest. Subscribe for a year. You get the Like, literally, we make like, the softest T-shirts in the business. They're great shirts. Subscribe today. You'll become a legend. Speaking of legends, we have legendary track and field fan Derek Rubis up next. Listen to him. Until Friday, everyone. Weldon Johnson, signing off.
1: We are happy to be joined by Derek Rubis, a.k.a. the hub of distance running. If you're unfamiliar with Rubis, he is a Wisconsin native. And one of the sport of running's biggest fans who haven't made it in the sport in the USA until Rubis makes a face in the hole post, subbing in his face for yours. Unfortunately, earlier this year, Derek was diagnosed with colon cancer. One of his cancer bucket list requests was to appear on the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. So we're happy to make that happen. And Derek, thanks for joining us today. How, How are you doing? All right.
4: Yeah, I'm
3: doing good.
1: Can you give us a little background? When did you when did you find out about this cancer diagnosis? How have you been treating it? How's the treatment going?
4: I had problems with my GI issues, and I was going to the bathroom so many times and whatnot. And uh, then I had a, a call to order colonoscopy for me, and. The, the guy, uh, my GI specialist, he said that he did six that day, and three of them, including me, was uh, two other ones, including me, they said um, he, he had to tell them they had colon cancer. And so I found out during uh, my colonoscopy, right now, my fifth week of oral and Oral chemo and uh radiation, and this is my last week of that. Then I'll have four weeks, nothing. Then I have to have surgery, a port put in me. Then I have uh IV chemo, and then six months of a uh, cloth me bag.
1: Wow, it sounds like I mean, very brave going through all of that. It's it's really uh. Sad to hear, but I know you have a lot of supporters in the running community. When is when is the surgery?
4: Probably ended June, early July.
1: I think you said you had radiation earlier today, just a, a few hours before this this call. Has that been difficult? Yep. To to go through, how'd that go today?
4: Um, it's it's been good. Uh, what I like about it is the four people that are are there. They treat me more like. A, pr- a human being rather than a cancer patient. So that's what I love about it. I don't want to be known as a cancer patient. I just want to be known as a human being. Yeah. There it is. That's
1: a good attitude. I think a lot of the people in the running world, they know you as uh, much more than a human being, as, as a huge fan of the sport. And just on tw- if you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can't miss him. Uh, he's everywhere. So I want to ask you about running right now. Running at... I have to be inside
4: my house at running uh, because I have to be close to uh, a bathroom just in case. Because the main highway, uh, main street that I always run on, bathrooms are far between. So I wouldn't be able to make it to the next one in time. So I'm in the house for about an hour to two hours.
1: But you've still been running pretty, you've still been running a lot, it sounds like.
3: Yeah. Wow! I ninety to hundred miles a week. Oh my god, that's crazy. Yeah,
1: I can't believe that. Wow, running for my running for my savior. So, so what about like? I know you follow college and professional running. Do you have a favorite runner at the moment?
4: There's two guys: Adi Ner and uh, Mar- Mar- Mercy. Mercy <clears throat> Romo. Like two guys, and then I call her S D because I can't pronounce her name. From Old Miss is my favorite woman, and uh, Nikki Hutz.
1: Oh yeah, Sintayu Visa. They're uh, they're Milo, right? For Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So wait, that's two rebels because it's her and Mario. What do you like about Ole Miss so much?
4: They're, they they treat me like family down them, them and. Uh, any you treat me like one of the family, so I'm I'm a big supporter of them. So yeah.
1: So do you have any big predictions? It's the SEC championships this weekend. What do you expect from them?
4: I think Ole Miss is going to win the whole thing, guys and girls.
1: Okay, okay, that'll be a big that's it's a big meet for them because it's uh it's at Ole Miss this year, so I'm sure they're going to have a lot of hopefully have a lot of support there. But yeah, that should be exciting, huh? Yeah, your Twitter handle's DD Ritzenheim.
3: Do you love Ritz from way back in the day, or how'd you pick that handle? Yeah, um, I'm a huge
4: Ritzenheimer fan, so I did it to him.
3: I remember, I think it, maybe the first time you tweeted at Let's Run or something, I was like, Ritz is Ritz is getting on our case, John, about something. I don't know what we did wrong or did right. And John's like, No, no, that's not Ritz. That's Derek Rubis and I—he had informed you know this is way back years ago, but it always takes me a while to figure out if it's you or Ritz commenting. Yeah.
1: So, looking ahead to the rest of the season, what are you most looking forward to? Is there a meet or a matchup or an athlete or a race? Any like what's uh what are you most excited about right now in the sport?
4: Able to get back out there out there. Hopefully in October, Nikki has a Pride 5K, and hopefully I can go there and go for my first race since uh, since the cancer started, so I'm hoping for that.
1: Where is that race at? It's going to be virtual,
4: but she lives like three hours. And now she lives in Flagstaff, so three hours away. Hopefully... I can get up there and and do the r- race there with her.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she'd love that. Where where are you based these days then?
4: In the, I call the middle of <laughs> Uh It's called Santan Valley, Arizona.
1: And has that been tough not being able to race? Like, how often did you used to race before the the diagnosis?
4: I had two races be uh, two outdoor races before the cancer, and uh, it's been tough being. Here basically, because I'm always doing the workouts or the runs by myself, and I have nobody to like push me. So I I have to push myself, or usually, uh, I said this phrase beforehand, uh, the game, Benwell used to say to me, if you go over, you go past the your limit and over the edge, and you're on the ground, you know, you had a good workout.
1: So is that usually how does that is that how things end up for you? Do you end up on the ground after these workouts?
3: Yeah. So is running for you like a a test of what the body can do? Why do you love to run so much? My family's like
4: if I don't go out for a run, you see a different side of me, and I'm crankier than all. And uh, so it's been like a
3: savior during this. From the spectator side of the sport, what can the sport do to be more popular? What advice do you have for those in charge? Uh, advice usually is uh,
4: just, you never know what you're going to do. Just try it. Try it. You might, uh, I mean, when I was coaching, help coach in D3, a lot of the guys and girls were always scared of doing the steeplechase. You don't know how strong you are if you don't try. So I always tell them you're stronger than you than you are in the sport. So yeah,
1: there's going to be a lot of big meets coming up on the schedule. We have the pre classic in Eugene, and then well, they're most of them are in Eugene. Pre classic, NCAA's, the U.S. Championships, and then the World Championships in July. Do you have any predictions for what's going to happen at any of those meets?
4: I hope people are going to be mad at me for this, that uh, the the Americans are going to sweep the distances. I'm hoping that worlds are going to sweep the distances and all the that it's not just all about them. It's more about track as a whole.
1: Well, definitely a bold bolder prediction, I think. The, that might be the boldest prediction we've ever had on this podcast. Would you say so, Well then?
3: Yeah, if the Americans sweep the distances at the Worlds, well, one, Let's com will crash, so we'll have a business problem. Can you imagine how track would get the attention they want from the Worlds? I'll say that much. If we just like, I mean, let's see, we, but think about it, John. Okay, we can win the 800s. You can see we can win both 800s pretty easily. 1,500. Mm-hmm. we got metal, We got Ugh. two medal contenders. 5Ks are going to be tough.
1: Gromfisher. Fisher's, you know, pretty oh, good, good season. Good point, John. Yeah, could be in
3: the um, mix. I, I, don't, I don't have much confidence in the tin case, the tin case, but it's... Uh, that might be a problem. I love the optimism.
1: Yeah. Well, I th- I think that's going to do it for this podcast, but Rubis, any other final thoughts? Anything else you wanted to say before we let you go?
4: One thing that I was set with you guys about <laughs> listening to one of your podcasts, you said that, um, People on the message board talk about women's weight, that you guys would take down the threads for the men you, you wouldn't. And somebody who's, who's go, gone gone through body weight issues himself, I felt like that was a little bit a, a cop-out because of, uh, I'm like, I think of it as well. So, Yeah.
3: So you think we should take them down for both, or should we leave them up for both? Yeah, for both. But I couldn't hear you. Take them down for both, or leave them up for both. Um, for me, it's like a little. Uh,
4: I'd say take if you're women down, take the men down. If you're the men up, keep the woman up. Uh, women up, but uh, my thing is. I'm out here trying to get my story across with the cancer and also with uh, showing that there's men in the sport that also deal with this. And someone keep it up so that the men can can see it and say, thank you for doing this or whatnot. It's a full-edged sword, sort of, for me.
3: Well, that makes sense, actually, because I think we've, I don't know if maybe it was you and other people have emailed us and they said, look, I'm a man, I've struggled with these things. So it makes sense probably to treat the issue more the same for both sexes. And I think in general with the sport, we probably should treat for most things. Sure, there's some biological differences, but the discussion of both sides of the sport by and large, I think should be the same. I think that's what most people want. So I think that is good advice. Appreciate that. And also you said about the steeplechase. Something along the lines of you're stronger than you think you are. And I think that's good advice for everyone in general, but also for you with your battle with cancer. So keep that in mind. Keep fighting. Keep inspiring people. And thank you for joining us today. Thank for having me. Podcast listeners, we've told you about this. You need to do it. Take your recovery to the next level with the Therabody Recovery Air System. This is next level compression boots, the most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. The exclusive fast flush technology flushes out metabolic waste at up to three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles means faster recovery. And with the jet boots, those are the ones I have. Recovery is now wireless. The pump is built into the units. You don't have to be attached to the wall. You don't have to have a heavy external pump. They are amazing. Check them out now. Therabody.com slash Let's Run. Link in the show notes. You can start getting the recovery air system for as little as 59 bucks a month with the firm. And there's a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping, so no risk. If you're thinking about doing you got to try it out. Therabody.com slash let's run.